You are listening to episode 19, Si Se Puede. Su voto is su voz. Your vote is your voice. With special guest, Kansas Secretary of Labor, Delia Garcia. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians. What makes us different and what makes us similar? It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. You are listening to episode 19, Trump v. Biden, with special guest, Kansas Secretary of Labor, Delia Garcia. Hello, hello. Hey, Delia, how's it going? Great. I mean, Madam, how are Secretary, you? Madam Secretary, how are you? Good, Senator. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much. Delia, uh, I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Diana Elliott. Hello, Madam Hello, Secretary. Diana. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time, especially at this time when you're completely on the final hours of the, the campaign trail, I guess. Yes, literally. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about what's going on on the ground right now, Madam Secretary? Yes, we actually have a lot going on um, right now. I'm um, I serve on the Biden um, Women uh, for Biden uh, Committee, mm -hmm. and so I'm actually here in one of the battleground states in the state of Texas, um, where we have um, an opportunity to actually flip the state, uh, largely due to the um, growing minority uh, vote here in the state of Texas, mainly zooming in on ground zero of the cities of Dallas and Houston uh, and the San Antonio and Valley area. So we actually have the DNC chairman, Tom Pettis, who uh, just spoke tonight at a couple of events. And again, tomorrow, uh, vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris was here yesterday Um you know, it was good visits, but also uh, there was an unfortunate situation um, where the, some of the Trump supporters were chasing um, the Biden bus. And um, so we had to cancel the Austin, Texas uh, stop because of that. Um, so hopefully we continue being safe and civil. Um, but a, a lot is writing. Um, a lot of people are coming out to vote. People standing for 11 hours. Um, Whoa. You know, that's what we've heard right now, 11 hours in line right now. So we're preparing for these next 48 hours uh, to support our friends who are uh, standing in line, no matter what hour they end up staying. It's incredible. Wow. 11 hours. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Hmm. And according to, is it true, um, Madam Secretary, that in Texas there's already been more votes cast than ever before, even though we're not even yeah. at election day yet? And what do you sort of attribute to that? Definitely the minority vote. One of the most recent studies that was just done 48 hours ago was uh, obviously the women vote and uh, particularly uh, Collins County, which is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and Denton County, which is north of Dallas, which is sort of your um, suburban area. Now, most of Texas in particular here um, would, could be rural, but the difference between Denton and another kind of suburban area is Denton is considered urban uh, suburban. Uh, and so those are, that's the exact demographic that could, uh, tip 
this the state uh, blue if if those votes end up going uh, Biden Harris. You know, there has been a lot of efforts, organic and planned, in the Dallas area, in the Houston area, in the San, San Antonio and Austin area, and just different parts of the states. It's actually pretty electrifying. Um, also, we haven't had that much sleep. That's why my voice sounds the way it sounds. Um, <laughs> but we're giving it our all because we literally have like 48 hours to go. So, uh, Madam Secretary, what is what is the main issue in the Latino community and as it relates to um, while they're, why are they turning to Biden rather than Trump? Was it something that maybe Trump has said in the past or uh, his actions? What is it? It's, I think it's it's uh, it's no different than you know the, your, your average American. We the Latinos believe one of the one of the important important things uh, is to have access to healthcare, is to ha- make sure we have job security that we don't have right now. Or you know the healthcare piece with the president. Uh, we're in a COVID pandemic crisis. Has someone who still does not have a plan. You know, black and brown communities have been affected and impacted disproportionately by COVID, uh, not only from lack of resources and health access, but also their their own job security. They, Latinos tend to be essential workers uh, in jobs that don't have uh, health access or even child care for one, uh, one or both of the parents to be able to either work or stay at home with their kids who are being homeschooled. So there's just a lot of dynamics, but also it doesn't help when this president has called Latinos rapists and drug dealers and horrible people that come from shitholes. It's just that's not family oriented. We're Latinos families. That's what we value is family. He puts our families and kids in cages and he rips our families apart. That's not what we value. We value our family. So we want change. And so I think you'll see a lot of that. And interesting enough, we have the majority of our Latino voters right now in the country. The majority of them are young. We have uh, nearly about 500,000 early voters. And most of those um, Latino voters are under the age of 30. Uh, 65% of them have voted for the first time, according to Target Smart. So this was 12 days out. Now we're in the last 48 hours, so that's actually more than that. But um, our average age in Latino voters is 34 years and younger. So you, you take that into effect. These are a lot of young people voting for the first time ever. And they're, I think, coming to the table with a lot of social justice um, issues on their mind. And do you feel, Madam Secretary, that the Biden campaign is promising to to right the wrongs and and to to really ignite change for these communities? Or is it more a vote against Trump? You know, I actually think it's a a mix of both. You know, um, clearly a lot of people, this is a, you know, vote against Trump vote, but also like we want hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want civility and we we get that in a a President Biden, um, somebody who has a heart and compassion. There is night and day difference where he comes to the table with compassion and empathy, where our current president doesn't have that. Um, he actually walks the walk where our current president does not. Um, and the team he has, uh, Biden has chosen, you know, Kamala Harris, another a person, um, 
that excites people like myself, like another scene, another woman, another woman of color that's actually empowering, right? Um, and where that team goes in her own story and how that relates to a, a community like a Latino community, especially young people. So again, I think that's very key here. You know, our young people, over 3 million of them just recently graduated just this year in May, and they are entering the worst job market in recent history. These young people have experienced already two recessions in their in a decade. Uh, they have the less wealth, less savings, and more debt than our parents. So the system needs to be overhauled, and we, I think, can count on a, a President Biden administration as opposed to the current one. Mm-hmm. Delia, can you uh, can you talk about the meaning of su voltu is su vos uh, and where that originated from? I know it it came from a, a mighty mighty lady that I admire, a hero of mine. Can you please talk to her a little bit? Uh, talk talk about her a little bit. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yes. Well, I mean, you're talking si se puede. Si se puede comes from Dolores Huerta. Uh, also, uh, President Obama um, used her tagline, yes, we can. Uh, and so when he uh, bestowed the Presidential Medal of Freedom on her neck, he had said, he made a joke um, at the White House saying, and I just want to apologize. I, I borrowed your line, yes, we can line when I ran for president. She said, yes, you did. And, but you know, that's such an empowering, um, you know, phrase because everybody can relate to that, right? At some point, we we all want to believe in hope and change. And um, he did that for the, the country. She did that during the civil rights movement and still to this day does for working uh, people, working class, uh, farm workers. But that also translates into su voto su voz, which actually is a tagline that was started by Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, which started in 1974 as a sister organization to what the great late uh, Congressman uh, John Lewis started um, uh, on the East Coast. And after he started that, then he helped actually Texas create Southwest Voter Registration Education Project in the early 70s and has been around since 74. And that has been their tagline, Su Voto Su Voz, which translates to, in, into English as your vote is your voice. And mm. that's such a powerful thing. Yeah, it's pretty it must be pretty exciting for you as somebody who's at that grassroots level. And, and, and we, you know, we did talk to people about trying to um, overcome those barriers to voters, uh, to, to, to votes, I should say, and the voter suppression tactics that are, are in play. Is it, how are you feeling about this, this kind of excitement around the participation as at today, let alone on election day? Well, uh, nervous and exciting at the same time, as you can imagine you know, that anxiety and exhaustion, but excitement really at most, you know, something that happened on Friday. So here in Texas, early voting ended on Friday. Mm-hmm. So there was no any any more early voting over the weekend. But what has happened as a result of the excitement that happened on Thursday, Friday, is particularly here in, in Texas and particularly in the work that I'm doing with the team here on the ground is uh, mariachis are a traditional um, Mexican music, folk music done, right? And so we have started, we created this, this small idea of movement. It's called Yo Voto y Grito, which translates into I vote and I uh, scream, like a, like a, agreement screen um it's it's usually done during mariachi music so we had mariachis uh serenading mm-hmm. voters while they were in line voting on thursday uh-huh. and friday and it was so exciting yeah. that it has gone uh, like organic wildfire so now not only are we doing the 
this on Tuesday, Election Day in San Antonio. We're doing it in the valley, which is on the along the border of Texas. We're doing it in um, El Paso. We're doing it so in like four other cities. Mm. We're also having uh, food trucks uh, to make sure that the people who are standing in line late when they get off work, that they stay in line. Um, that's that's what you need. Food yeah. for them and T-shirts. Um, <laughs> so we want to. We're going to do everything we can to support these working class voters who are going to get off work and they're going to go in line and we want them to stay in line and whether that's an, an additional 11 hours we will be there to support them with music with food whatever we need to help them get their vote in love it it's like the australian oh. democracy sausage <laughs> we have a yeah, barbecue exactly. on election day and it keeps people i mean we never have to wait 11 hours my goodness but um that's fantastic so there's a real kind of carnival kind of atmosphere to it Madam Secretary, why didn't we think of that uh, when we were running for office <laughs> in the state of Kansas? Why why didn't we pull out the band? Huh? Well, you know, I, <laughs> that was a different time then. I think yeah. um, it was another exciting time when, when you and I uh, were serving in the legislature together in you know the mid-2000s. And, you know, again, it was it goes back to like that energy of that connection with community. Mm. You know, mm. we I think we embody that connection to community. We empowered that connection to community. Yeah. We um, connection with community within black and brown and white, uh, where it was a given and it was jovial and it was a learning experience for everyone. Everybody had a, a piece and ownership in our campaigns. It was a community campaign. And I think, it, it, you know, it changed a little after um we stepped away and, you know, bringing it back, uh, of course, in a different era right now, it's just, it's needed. Uh, people are hungry for it. And, you know, again, seeing people stand in line for 11 hours to vote is mm. a testament that people want change. Yeah. Exactly. I saw, I saw some guys riding horses in Vegas. Did you see that? <laughs> they were riding horses that. on the way to the polls. Wow! I, yeah, I heard about that. No, that I have awesome. a little bit off, a little off on news. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Secretary, I wanted to touch on something that, I mean, we're hearing a bit about in Australia, which is that shops and, and, and places are boarding themselves up in anticipation of civil unrest post the election result. And you did mention that the need to keep things safe and civil. What's what's your fears around that or, you know, what do you feel might happen after the election? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're not sure. We're well aware of, you know, the possibility that that, you know, something like that could happen. Um, and just also the bad track, rec- track record, in my opinion, of Trump supporters. So I think, you know, for us, our, our, the team that we're working on here is we want to make sure everybody stays safe mm-hmm. uh, and that we are, you know, vigilant and, and you know, and, and, and fair and, and, and kind and loving. And so I think um, the Biden campaign in particular, we will be doing everything we can to make sure that everything does stay peaceful, right? All the leaders we've ever learned from, from Martin Luther King to Cesar Chavez to Dolores Huerta, has always taught us that we will uh, be, it is our right to protest, right? But peacefully, should the other, another side be hostile about that, we will need to, uh, you know, kill that with kindness. I'm not sure how that plays out. And hopefully we don't have to go there. And hopefully we'll see other kinds of leadership from their own party to say, hey, now, Let's let's move forward. That is the only thing that I I will be praying to God for uh, uh, that we can keep you know the arc of of um, fairness here. You know, uh, I was talking to a Republican, a Kansas Republican, and they were saying, you know, Don, 
the Trump Republicans are not the traditional Republicans. And I said, well, I kind of understand that. But, you know, from the looks of what happened in the U.S. Senate, I'm, I'm a little nervous that, you know, it's, it's still just the Republican Party. Uh, as you know, we serve with Republicans and Democrats and we got along, I think, great. Um, we all had our differences, but at the same time, the Kansas Republican Party, we were able to work with them and get things done. Do you see a difference between the two factions of the party? You mean with Republicans now? Within the Republican Party, the the Trump is there a Trump Republicans and a traditional Republicans like John Kasich and um, and Definitely. George Bush, like, and then you have you know. President uh, President uh, Trump and his folks. Is there a big divide? And do you see Republicans coming over to the, the Democratic side? Yes. I mean, even in our home state of Kansas, Dr. Barbara Bollier, who, you know, we served with, uh, she, you know, switched parties from the Republican to the Democratic Party. She has a great chance right now at a U.S. Senate seat in Kansas that we have not, the Democrats have not had since uh, 1932. Yes, she got um, and she's been, She's been endorsed by 100 uh, Republicans, including the former U.S. Senator Nancy Kassebaum um, and other former Republican governors uh, of Kansas, um, former Republican state legislators that you and I both serve with in the Kansas legislature. Uh, you see that also at the national level with Biden. You have, you know, people like John Kasich, like various others. And not only that, I think something that's very powerful uh, to mention is the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project is off the chart right now. Um, those are Republicans who feel like their t- party has left them and will forever leave them. And so there is like, well, there's no going back. Partially also, they should own that we are in this hot mess because they contributed to this. So for them to make up for that is, you know, probably a good idea. So a lot of their um, their messaging has been very powerful using, um, you know, Republican strategies and approaches has been actually very helpful. And again, bringing other Republicans and moderate Republicans to the table, like the Cindy McCain uh, and, and alike. So hopefully that will pay off. I think here in Texas, what we've seen is um, that's been helpful in the suburban areas or in the counties that we're going to need to pick up. And are you staying in Texas for your um, the final days? Or are you sort of going into any other states that are in contention or just focused on Texas? No, I'm, I'm staying here in Texas. This is like my second home state. And then really just capitalizing on my strengths, having lived here before, really reaching out to the Latino vote, um, being able to speak to voters uh, in Spanish, you know, having that bicultural, bilingual approach mm-hmm. is key. Um, and we're going to be dragging people <laughs> as much as we can to the polls and keeping them there with some good Mexican food, with some good, Mex- you know, Latino go music and, and whatever it is to need to keep them in line. Yeah. Can you, can you say something to, uh, if I were a Spanish speaking only voter, how, how would you, how would you convince me in Spanish to get to the polls and, and cast my vote? Bueno, eh, primer, necesitamos votar para nuestras familias. Su voto es su voz. Uh, we vote for our families. Your vote is your voice. Get it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank is there you anything so else that you would like to say, Madam Secretary, to our Australian audience uh, to kind of bring, because right now we're tensed as well. Um, mm. 
the the president of the United States is important to the U.S. Australian alliance. Absolutely. And so we're we're a little bit unnerved here as well. We don't. Uh, it's very nerving, unnerving here uh, for me being off of the the homeland. What I see is. I'll just call it out. People are wondering if the U.S. will go break out into a civil war. Is mm-hmm. that the sentiment? Is that the feeling on the ground that you feel? Um, you know, to be honest with you, here in the state of Texas, um, no. Uh, we are actually excited in getting the vote out where we are right now. We are seeing numbers that are blowing us out of the water. <laughs> I mean, here in Texas alone, we're at 9 million. That was all pre-early voting. We, we were at 6 million in 2016. We have surpassed that. By election day, we are projected to be at 12 million. Ooh. 12 million in the state of Texas. That has never happened. And oh. we don't know who those votes are, but from the cities and the counties that are they're voting out of, it's a good indicator, uh, and we'll we'll know that after Tuesday night. But we are seeing um, those kinds of uh, like again long standing lines uh, in, in communities of color um, where they are taking this serious. So yes, we do acknowledge that the possibility that there m- might be some civil unrest. But right now, I think is the excitement of hope uh, and change. Um, that's what we're feeling. And we know the whole world is watching. So the one thing I would say, the one thing I would leave with you all is if any of you in Australia, <laughs> beautiful Australians know anybody in the United States, I ask you for one thing and one thing only, please tell them to vote. Please tell them they have till six in the morning to 7 PM in most of the States. And they can check in their own secretary of States from their States. But uh, right now, the, one of the things that's really powerful and what's working for us is relational get out the vote efforts which means I'm going to call my sisters and my parents which I did all my sisters and both my parents and all the employees of our family restaurant and we I pushed that out if we just did our own circles people are going to listen to me and my own circle of family and then they would over a robocall Um, and so that's what we're having people to do because because we're in a pandemic because we are um not able to go door to door, which is much more powerful. This, this relational, personal touch of text messaging and, you know, the direct Instagramming or the direct uh, Facebooking from personal relationships. That's what's going to get us over this finish line. And so we're just keeping our eyes focused on this ball. We have to win. We have no other choice. Now, uh, two things before I mention Connie's uh, Mexico Cafe um, restaurant in uh, in Wichita, <laughs> Kansas, the oldest restaurant in Wichita, Kansas, oldest Mexican restaurant, family owned in Wichita, Kansas, with the most delicious food. I love the burritos, <laughs> by the way. But what happens if the president is reelected? What what will that do to the people? What what what's what's the morale? How will that? How will that affect the the morale of the people in your estimate? I mean, I don't even want to think about that, but if I must, um, you know, I will remind us what a great mentor of mine who's a civil rights icon, Dolores Huerta, has reminded me, and that is we've been here. Um, I haven't because I'm only 43 years old, but she's 90 years old and she has lived through some other hot messes. And now, of course, this one sort of takes a cake, but our country has has always had this great track record of resiliency. Mm. Um, 
And when there is bad stuff, good stuff comes out of it. I do think whatever we get through after Tuesday, we will be resilient. It might be a little bumpy, but as she reminded me, we have been through this before, uh, even worse, um, during the civil rights movement and some lives were you know, lost then. There was a, obviously some unrest then, but we came out of it and we came out of it stronger. And when we go up and down, up and down. So I do believe whatever it is that we're going to come together, if anything, I mean, right now we're seeing people vote that never voted for it. We're mm-hmm. seeing people vote, stand in lines that have never stand, stood in a line like that. We're seeing people vote in droves of young people that we have never seen before. So, I mean, I really hope all of that translates into a win for us. And if we go into that bad uh, situation, I do believe all of that energy of hope that we're all going to come together. We're going to channel that into some positive way. We have to, we have no other choice. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, well done. we bring to you <laughs> Kansas Secretary of Labor, Madam Delia Garcia. Thank you, my friend. Thank you my so colleague, much. My sister. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. You've got mail. Who's your pick? So let's let's imagine that Joe Biden, um, Madam Secretary's vision becomes the reality and Joe Biden is yeah. elected. Who are your certain picks for him in the cabinet? I can see um, a majority female cabinet Mm -hmm. Um, because you have to look at what uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Amy Klobuchar, you have to look at Stacey Abrams and Keisha Lance Bottoms and all of the folks that Biden kind of touted in the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still haven't let uh, Condoleezza Rice off the hook as the Secretary of State or something. I still haven't let her off the hook, but I can foresee a strong female cabinet. Maybe I'm wrong. There will be a few men in there, but for the most part, I see a very strong female cabinet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I just have a good feeling about that. What about Pete Buttigieg? Got to get him in there. So. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg My, will probably, you know, go to human rights or something. No, I okay. don't know. I defense, don't know where, defense, where Pete, maybe. Pete will go. Yeah. Um, uh, an, an ambassador somewhere. Okay. Maybe they'll send him off to Australia, perhaps. <laughs> We'd love him over here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think everyone that served, oh, um, the the Chinese uh, oh, Andrew Wang Andrew Wang uh, I'm I'm sure he will be he's got to be there uh, somewhere he? he's got to be there with the tech chief technology yeah. something and maybe even the climate stuff somehow yeah. Cory Booker will be well placed oh your mate yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he's learned his lesson along the way. I won't. I won't hold it against him anymore. I'm forgiving. Uh, um, now, this this question I should say came from our our listener Jensen. Thank you, Jensen. He's he's actually given us a couple of different ones, but Jensen. One question that um, I wanted to ask you, Donald, on behalf of Jensen, is: Can Senate Republicans survive Trump? Oh yes. Uh, remember the Senate. Senators get uh, well. The senators as a, that are running now, they may not be able to survive the defeat because the as Rep- as uh, the as Madam Secretary Garcia said, the voting numbers are coming out like never before. Mm. So it's likely that the Democrats are going to take the Senate. Mm-hmm. But those senators that are serving with the Democrats as the majority, likely they'll get along. 
-hmm. again, you know, we're resilient government. We're resilient people. The United States is resilient. Mm -hmm. And I think they will just be relieved if if President Trump is not the the victor in this as as being reelected. I think they will be relieved that at least after they leave office, they can keep their their credibility. They won't be blackballed from life, yeah. you know, because with this president, you cross him, you may as well you pack fired. up and move to Australia. Yep. Yep. You know, come join me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? They won't regret it, but I don't want to let that secret out of the bag either. Stay right there in America. I, I'm fine right here in Australia. Um, but I think uh, they'll come together. Yeah. They'll, uh, and and what you see, look, Joe Biden, once a senator, always a senator. Mm. Joe Biden served in the Senate and he served with some of those folks that are still in the Senate. Mm. Just because you uh, you run on the opposition shouldn't mean that your respect for one another goes out the window. Yeah. Remember, they talked 47 years. Mm. What has he done? Mm. That same question can be posed to all of the senators. Mm. They've done quite a bit. They they write legislation. Mm-hmm. That's what you do in the legislature. Yeah. You know, you push out bills, you write legislation. You're a legislator. So he's built alliances on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. People say President Trump is not a politician. Well, he is now. The minute he decided to give up his private life as a businessman and step into that political arena, however experienced or not he was, he became a politician. Mm -hmm. I can remember when I first when I was first elected, and I believe we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. After all the, the, the pomp and circumstance and we, we were sworn in and our families left for the day, I left my office and went next door to another young man's office, uh, Joshua Swati, who's also a friend with, uh, who had also served with myself and, and Madam Garcia. I sat down at Joshua's desk and we looked at each other and we were both like, what do we do now? <laughs> Because you're young yeah. in politics. Yeah. While you're looking over your shoulder and you see these these lions mm. in the game mm-hmm. walking around you. They can smell fresh meat. Yeah. Because they don't know the institution of government. They know the institution of government. We just walked in. Mm-hmm. So when businessman President Trump, uh, when businessman Donald Trump walked in to become President Donald Trump with no political experience, that doesn't take away the fact that he's private anymore. Mm -hmm. He swore an oath Mm -hmm. and he became a politician. Mm -hmm. So at that point, there is no excuse. When you take on a new job, you want to be well equipped to know what you're doing. So when you want to come swim with the sharks, at least have some knowledge, take a political science course or something just so you can get your basics. Mm. But he walked in not even with that. No tools Mm. to deal with these lions. And the respect, I suppose, of the office, which I think a lot of people... And respect of the office and the institution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Donald. Are you going to have like a big watch party uh, on election night and just... 
Well, I'm, I'll be on the drum tomorrow night. Oh, brilliant. The night before the eve of election. Yep. And then put some other that. channels throughout mm-hmm. for the rest of the week. Yep. But uh, I think I'm going to have a Zoom party or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you got to do something, don't you? Something. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been a more hotly anticipated result of an election in, in, in the history of things of recent times at least. And, you know, it's not just Americans watching on. We're all watching with bated breath because it will, if Biden wins, it will fundamentally shake up some things in Australia in how we approach things like clean, yeah. clean energy. It's going to, you know, it's yeah. going to ignite a fire that needs to be lit with those yeah. sorts of issues. So that's what I'm I'm sort of hoping will happen, but we'll have to wait and see. So. We'll wait and see. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Donald. <laughs> Catch you Thanks, next week. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians. What makes us different and what makes us similar? It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. Greenland.